Well, it is so good this morning to have Jason and Kimberly Peters with us. Uh, Many of you may remember that Jason was with us last year for our missions conference when he was with the Voice of the Martyrs. Jason now serves as Chief Executive Officer of the Hope Haven Charitable Trust, where he leads Hope Haven Rwanda, and as you can see in his bio in the bulletin, it is a ministry that is transforming Rwandan families through a holistic approach to education and discipleship, actively demonstrating the love, hope, and truth of Jesus Christ. Jason, it's good to have you back again, and we are excited to hear about Hope Haven Rwanda. Well, good morning. It's great to be back at First Baptist Church, and uh, man, you guys have such an amazing team. I praise God for uh, the staff, Uh, Pastor Tim, of course, thanks for the invitation, and uh, it was great to see Chad up here again, Uh, and of course, Mike, I remember when he had just arrived last year, and uh, and Ron, I ran into in the parking lot this morning, making sure everything was secure, and of course, uh, Diana was so hospitable and helping us set up, so thank you for the invitation to come back. It's good to be back, and God's on the move, which obviously you have been hearing about all month. Uh, His kingdom is advancing, and I love, thank you, Luke, also for the the worship and Pastor Mike and the worship team. You know, it's exciting. What an adventure of faith that we're on, if you think about it, because you never know how God's going to move you to, to put you into connection with people and to use us for his glory and to help advance his kingdom. That's what we're all about uh, at Hope Haven, Rwanda, and I'm excited to tell you about that today. Uh, You may wonder why I was with the Voice of the Martyrs last year. Now I'm with Hope Haven, Rwanda. It was really interesting when Kimberly and I, my wife Kimberly's here, by the way. Maybe she could wave her hand or something, but she's, uh, you'll get a chance to meet her afterwards. Uh, We were so grateful to serve our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world, but there was an ache in our heart uh, to do something as a family, and to really be connected in a ministry. Kimberly went to Papua New Guinea with New Tribes Mission uh, years ago, and uh, when we met, we knew that we were both called to missions. And God used us for many years as chaplains in the Air Force. I retired from the Air Force as a chaplain. And then uh, we went to work with the Voice of the Martyrs, and I began to think about ways that our family could get involved. I, I took my son to Sudan, which was an adventure. I took him to Cuba took my daughter to Mexico to meet with our persecuted family. And so they had a chance to, to see some of the ministry. But Hope Haven, Rwanda is amazing because, and I'll describe it in a minute, but it really is a family ministry. And so we just decided this week, this is exciting news, uh, our entire family, uh, at least the three children that are still at home, I should say, we have five children, two of them out of the house and three at home, we're going to Rwanda, Lord willing, for three months this summer to live and work in this community. So pray for us as we prepare for that. It's a big, it's a big trip, uh, but I'm excited w- about what God's going to do in that. This morning, I wanted to talk about investing in hope. And I wanted to tell you a story. This was one of the most bizarre experiences in my life. It happened about four years ago. I was staying at a hotel, the Hotel Peking in Osh, Kyrgyzstan. And early that morning, I was there with some colleagues. We were traveling to meet with some Christians who'd been suffering. And, and early that morning, about 6 o'clock in the morning, I got out of bed. I turned on the shower, and I heard a knock at the door. I thought, it must be one of my colleagues. Maybe we need to leave earlier than I thought. And so, so I turned the shower off. I wrapped a towel around myself, and I went over to the door. This was a really cheap hotel, so there wasn't any eye hole in the door. Uh, and, and so I just unwisely opened the door. 
I'm there in my towel, and, and I open the door. I was shocked to see a woman that I'd never seen before. And she smiled at me, and then she reached for me, and she began to push her way inside the room. And I, I obviously, I had one of those Joseph and Potiphar's wife kind of moments where I said, Lord, I don't know what to do here, but I know I need to run. So I literally pushed her back out the door. And, and I would never imagine touching a woman that I didn't know. It was, it was strange, but I, I, I knew that, that I needed to get her out of the room. I closed the door, and then I just stood there in stunned silence. And I thought, I didn't condemn her. I actually had a, a compassionate thought about her. I thought, that's somebody's daughter. It's probably somebody's sister. It may even be somebody's mother. And she was desperate. She was without hope. And she was trying to push her way into my room. I was trying to push her out. But it made me think of an interesting question. Who was around the corner pushing her to do something like that? I've had a chance to, to meet with people around the world who've suffered and, and been in very desperate situations. I would say they're hopeless. They're people without hope. And uh, I remember meeting with, with young ladies uh, in Nigeria. Kimberly and I met with these women who had been kidnapped by Boko Haram. Maybe you remember that story. Some of these girls escaped. and It was a very interesting story because uh, in this one case, these young girls were, were abducted and uh, they were being held by Boko Haram. One of them had been forced at knife point to marry a Muslim man. But one of the man's other wives was jealous of this young wife. And so she helped her escape. And so they ran uh, into the night. They just knew a direction that they should go. They knocked on the door of a house they knew nothing about. Thankfully, the man who answered the door had compassion on them and, and helped them find safety. And again, so desperate, without hope, running through the, the bush in Nigeria to escape. And it made me think about uh, all of the people that we encounter every day who are without hope. See, it's not just something that happens over there. It's easy for us to just think in terms of, oh, that, that must be really hard for them. But what about the people right here that God has called us to, to invest and hope with. I really want us to think about that. And I think this is kind of becoming for me a, a life message, as it were. It's, it's something that for me is, and Kimberly, we, we really try to apply this with our family and, and to whoever we engage with. I really want to challenge each one of us to deepen relationships and to deliver hope. Because unless you have the relationship, you can't really deliver the message. Does that make sense? So as missionaries, as we think about ourselves, we're all missionaries. We're all in a place where we are able to deliver God's hope and his love. But we have to have the relationship. It reminds me of a story when I was in Kuwait one time, when I was in the Air Force. It was very difficult. This was quite a few years ago before, you know, um, FaceTime and, and text messaging. And I mean, those were the days where well, I didn't have a cell phone, but if I had, it would have been one of those that maybe you would have had to push the button three or four times to get the letter you want. Do you remember those? That was very hard to text. And, uh, and I was using this field phone in Kuwait, and I was trying to call my wife in the United States. She lived in Omaha. Uh, that's where we were based. And so I was trying to call from Kuwait to Omaha, 
And I remember uh, it took forever to get the connection because I had to work through an operator and I had to push the button to talk on the phone and then let go to let the other person respond. And maybe you remember some of these phones if you've been in the military. Uh, And so anyway, we had this difficult time making the connection. And I thought how strange it would have been if I would have made the connection and then just been silent and not communicated anything. But I feel like that's what we do sometimes as believers. We, we are reaching out, we're building friendships and relationship, but it's a different step, isn't it, to once that connection is there to cross that line and to share about Jesus. Isn't that challenging? I think that's for all of us. It's, it's easy to have these friendships and, well, maybe they'll see the love of Christ in my life, but I'll never really mention Jesus. And I want to encourage us today to really think about how we can serve our Lord by being ambassadors for him, investing in hope, and it becomes with deep relationships. Many people are desperate. They're, they're searching for something, and for us to recognize the, the image of God in them, the human value that they have, and to reach out to them, it, it's powerful. So this is what I'd like to say this morning. Every single person matters. And so whether they're over there somewhere, or whether they're here, uh, they matter to God. And God doesn't rack and stack people. He doesn't sort of value some people more than others. That's one of the false teachings that's prevalent these days that, well, if you're blessed, then you'll be wealthy. Or if God has favor on you, you know, this will be the manifestation of it. And I would say that's false. God values everyone. He loves all. He, he doesn't rack and stack people. We have the opportunity to share what he's given to others and to give our first fruits. That's something we talk a lot about uh, with at Hope Haven Rwanda. We talk about giving our first fruits to God, not our leftovers. It's going to be interesting this summer because, Lord willing, I'm going to enroll my children in the school in Rwanda. And it's going to be interesting for them because I've said for some time, our school is so great, I would put my own kids in school. Well, now I have the opportunity to test it, so <laughs> we'll see how it goes. But um, they'll be the only white kids in the whole school, that's a fact. Um, and it'll be very interesting to see how they engage with these 500-plus other students. Uh, but I'm excited about it because I do believe that it's a first-fruits kind of school. It's, it's the, the classes, the curriculum, the teachers, the facilities, they're, they're, they're really uh, their first class, their world class, their first-fruits types of environments. And so it reminds me of a story. You guys may appreciate this. I love being here um, in this area and just being reminded. Kimberly, my wife, grew up, uh, she was very close to Dairy Farm. She was from Wisconsin, not Michigan. Now, I'm from California. You may remember last time I mentioned that California is actually the biggest dairy state. You know that, right? I don't know. Maybe I didn't mention that. But anyway, uh, I'm from California. Uh, she's from Wisconsin. And she grew up, uh, her brother-in-law is a dairy farmer, and, and so she grew up around that. I love being in this neighborhood. Reminds me of a story that Tim Keller told. He said that uh, we should give the first fruits of everything we have to God. And a farmer one time came to his pastor, and he said, uh, Pastor, one of my cows unexpectedly gave birth to two calves. He said, so, you know, we've been talking about giving our first fruits, so I just want you to know I'm going to take one of those calves, and I'm going to give it to the Lord. pastor was really happy to hear this. He was quite pleased. Uh, a couple weeks later, uh, interestingly, the farmer came up, and he's like, Pastor, got some bad news. The Lord's calf died. <laughs> I don't think he was grasping the first fruits idea, uh, actually. But, uh, but the idea, though, is that God has given us so much, and what are we doing to serve 
others. I want to um, share a story a little bit about some of the, what's happening down in Rwanda. You know, we talk about giving God our best, and uh, wow, we are excited about what God's doing in the lives of these, these children. We want to have a, a, promote a culture of love and respect, where when these children are being trained and equipped and discipled, that they're learning to reach out in love. And my prayer is that every time our team encounters a child, that they, they know that they're loved, that they are being listened to, that they're being cared for, and really that they're honored as image bearers of Christ, because that's who we believe they are. These children come from a very difficult uh, area. Uh, if you fly into the city of Kigali and you drive through some slums, you find Hopave, Rwanda. It's about 20 minutes away from the international airport there. And, and it's a place where uh, about only, this ministry is only about six years old. Uh, about seven-ish years ago, um, the founder, Susan Holleran, felt that God was leading her to go serve uh, people of Rwanda. And so she traveled there a couple times and looked at different options and ways to help. And then she went to this little village of Merindi. And um, she said to the village leader, she said, what would be most helpful for you? If, if I were to come as a Christian and, and wanted to bless your community, what would be most helpful? And they said, well, we don't have a school. And when you think about that, think about how bizarre that is. There, there was literally no school within walking distance, and that is how you get to school in this area as you walk. And so no school at all, and she said, well, uh, let me see what I can do, and she went back and started to make arrangements. Uh, while she was making these arrangements, this permaculture expert from Denver, Colorado, which is where she was from, said, I heard what you're doing, and I want to go. And she said, well, we're, we're starting a school. That's what we want to plan. And he's like, well, have you ever thought about doing a farm? Well, not really, but that's a great idea. So, so Nathan Kempton and Susan went down there, and, and Nathan literally left his family and just moved down there. He's been down there for six years now. And so this, this began to sort of evolve and develop uh, with God involved, of course, every step of the way. And it's turned into uh, a farm and a school, and a discipleship ministry, and a community center, and vocational training, and all this sort of holistic approach to helping transform this community. And I mean, to God be the glory. What he's done is every step of the way, he's sort of just opened up doors and made things happen, and it's starting to grow. It's really incredible. But what excites me the most about it is the eternal investments that are being made in the lives of these children. I mean, we're literally, uh, we have the opportunity to, to pour into them as a part of this epic story of what God's doing. And that's the part that's an adventure, because you never know what he's gonna call you to do, right? I would have never imagined, even when I was here last year, I wasn't thinking, oh, I'm going to spend the summer in Rwanda with my family doing this kind of ministry. But God has a way of, uh, of leading us every step of the way. We want to restore we're living in a fallen world, as you know. We want to restore the brokenness, and this community is filled with brokenness. When you encounter extreme poverty, it's really stunning to think about the fact that to get in this particular area, um, to get water is really a challenge. So the homes in our community, I, I hate to even call them homes, they're really like shacks or huts, they don't have any running water. And they are dirt floors and mud walls and there's no furniture. And, and I can't even, honestly, it's one of those things, you almost have to see it to, to understand it. But, 
But to be in a context like that, there's no hope. Every day is just a challenge to survive. And so the mentality is very short-sighted because the mentality is not, oh, I'm thinking about my children and where they're going to go to college and what they'll do professionally. No, it's more like, how can we get through tomorrow? It's a very challenging place. And as you know, Scripture talks about how many verses in the Bible speak of poverty. 168 verses specifically talk about poverty and how God is calling us to serve those who are less fortunate. In this case, uh, just to get water, there's, there's a well. It's down in a valley. And what struck me about the well was that people are standing in the water, um, and they're also trying to, to use this water to wash their clothes, to wash themselves, and to drink. Such a tough kind of situation. I want to show you a little video clip. There was a church that came down just recently. It was called Red Rocks Church. And the church came down to uh, Rwanda. And by the way, I've talked to Pastor Tim already. I'm inviting all of you. Please come to Rwanda. Maybe not all at the same time. But anyway, I would love to have you come and get involved. Um, But this church, I want you to see how God used this experience for them to kind of bring a story to life from Scripture, which I'm going to share a little bit about too. So let's go ahead and watch the video. Hey, what's up, Red Rocks? We're here in Ludusha on the eastern side of Kigali in Rwanda, and we are at an actual well. I wanted to begin today's talk with this footage because we're going to look at a story where Jesus meets with a woman at a well, and I've been reading this story for years, and I've never had a picture like this. So one of the things we're going to do with the students from the Red Rocks Church Youth Group today is we're going to carry some water jugs up to some villages. Nate, our host at Hope Haven, this ministry that we're working with, he said, hey, when you go down to the well today, he said, I want you to notice some things. Notice the smiles. Listen, you can hear clapping right now, kids playing, people laughing, we've seen people hugging and high-fiving, and there's all this amazing community that's happening right here at this well. And as I've been watching it, it hit me like, that's the one redemptive thing that's happening right now, because... This is hard work, no doubt about it. But they get community, because after this, they go up into their house in these villages, and these women live in isolation. Not here, not in the mornings. This is where they get community and friendship and hugs and laughter and people who believe in them, and they share stories and they share life. And this story that we're looking at today in the Bible, where Jesus meets with a woman at a well, she misses out on all that. Because as we're going to talk about today, she goes at noon, the hottest part of the day, when no one else will be around. She goes for the hard work, but she misses out on all the community. She misses out on it because she doesn't think she deserves it. She feels so much guilt, so much shame, so much regret for the things that have happened in her life, for the way that she has been living, for the way she is living, that she thinks, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve to have people believe in me. I don't deserve to have people love me. I definitely don't deserve God in my life. And as we're going to see today, Jesus steps into her world and says, that couldn't be farther from the truth. You do do deserve people in your life. You do deserve to be believed in and loved 
and you do deserve God and all he has for you and his love. And that's what we're going to look at today. Welcome to Red Rocks Church. That was such a, such a great trip and experience for them to be able to see uh, firsthand just what God's doing in that community. And I love, it was interesting that Pastor Sean there talked about uh, the woman at the well, because that's a story that came so real to me as we were there and seeing the well. I mean, it just, it, it just comes alive when you see people actually depending on going to a well with jerry cans that they fill with water and then trek way back up a steep hill to their home. So let's look at the story. John chapter 4, right? Let's take a look at, you remember the woman at the well? Um, And by the way, Jesus said that we would be known when he was washing his disciples' feet, speaking of water. He said, people are going to know you by the way you love one another. There's so many pictures of water, so many pictures of uh, the way that God works through people's thirst. And we can deliver hope. I love this picture. This is a lady who actually just learned that her child was accepted into the school because there's so many children who want to come to the school that we have to have a lottery system. It literally, we just pray about it. We say, Lord, bring who you want to be here. And they, we literally do a, a drawing and it's like a, a system where only certain students are able to get in. And it's not based on anything other than God's divine intervention in the draw. It's not based on their income or their educational level, none of that. And her child was just accepted into the school. You can see the joy that she felt. She really received the hope. I have this water bottle because I want us to think about this idea of water and delivering hope. Um, Maybe you've been there before where you're really thirsty. If I took this water bottle right now and I just guzzled it so fast and water was flowing off of my face, (laughs) you'd say, man, that guy was thirsty. Um, I'm telling you, we live in a world where people are thirsty uh, for God. They, they have these, we often as theologians call this a God-shaped hole in their soul. There's a, there's a hole, there's a, a, a thirst, and we have the story. We have the solution. We can quench their thirst. And Jesus told us, he said, go and tell the story. As Luke mentioned, the Great Commission is not a suggestion. It's a commission. It's a commandment. Well, think about what happened here in, in this story. It's so interesting um, in John where you see the story, the woman at the well, and Jesus had just come off of, I want to tell you a story about this. Jesus had come off of a very important meeting with a very important person. He had just met with Nicodemus. Do you remember that in John chapter 3? John chapter 3, a very powerful man had come looking for Jesus, and he found him. In John chapter 4, Jesus goes looking for a very powerless woman until he found her. Isn't that interesting? Especially, we were in Dean's Sunday School class this morning and talking about uh, the role of women in in Hebrew culture. And, And in this case, this woman was a Samaritan woman. The Jews despised Samaritans. They viewed them as dogs. Most devout Jews would go miles out of their way to go around Samaria. They wouldn't go through it. But Jesus went... Scripture says that he went, he was going through Samaria. It says he came to a town, look at verse 5, called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph, and Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. They would not have gone through this area except that Jesus was obviously led there by the Holy Spirit. Verse 7, a Samaritan woman comes to draw water, and Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. Now, just that question, will you give me a drink? Jesus crossed so many barriers. 
He crossed the geographical barrier. He crossed cultural barriers. But you know what else he crossed? A barrier of guilt. This woman was at the well at noon because she didn't want to see anybody. She was ashamed. She knew who she was. People in the community knew who she was. She reminds me of someone that we might run into in our community. And, and you know the type, you know the feeling when you run into somebody and you're like, hmm, you can't help but think that you're a little better than they are because you know where they've been, you know what they've done. And yet God crosses your path with them. How do we respond to that? Can we actually deliver hope? Can we offer a drink of living water at that moment? I pray that we can. In Acts 1.18, Jesus had said, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you're going to be witnesses in, in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. A good leader doesn't tell his followers to do something that he's not willing to do. Jesus was modeling this. He said, I'm going to Samaria. I'm going to meet with this woman. He crosses the barriers. The Samaritan woman is stunned. Why is this guy talking to me? She says, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. It was interesting. The woman was confused. She's thinking, you have nothing to draw with. Look at verse 11. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? And he, she goes on to talk about the Jacob and what he had done with his sons and his livestock. But Jesus says this. He says, everyone who drinks this water is going to be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give will never thirst. In fact, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This got the woman's attention. Now she's interested. Sir, let, let me get some of that water because I don't like this idea of coming back to the well every day. <laughs> I, I'd like to have a spring of water welling up. And of course, Jesus was using an analogy about water. Maybe she was tired of coming to the well, but I think she was tired of something else. And so Jesus in verses 16 and 17, he starts getting to the heart of the issue about her history. And, and it doesn't take long for Jesus to drive to the point. This woman is ashamed. She's been carrying a heavy burden. She's looking for hope. And there is hope. Jesus said, I love it in verse uh, 22 or 25, the woman says, I know about this Messiah, that he's coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then what did Jesus say in verse 26? I, the one speaking to you, am he. He says, I am. I am the living water. I am the one that you're looking for. Jesus said, I'm the one. I'm the hope. Isn't that stunning? She didn't have any idea who she was talking to. She didn't know that she was talking face to face to the Son of God. We all have shame. We all have wounds. We all have guilt. And Jesus is the hope. If we believe Jesus is the hope for us, how selfish it would be for us to hoard that and to keep that to ourselves. No, God is calling us to go, to share, to give, to offer, to deliver living water. And part of this beautiful redemptive story is that he allows us to be a part of the adventure. Have you had that experience where you're sharing about your faith? And it's, it's like, it's exciting. 
You know what I mean? I mean, you're, you're just enlivened by it because it's, it's God speaking through you and you can see the Holy Spirit moving and, and you can just feel that you're speaking truth. I love that. That's what this is about. That he allows us, for some reason, he uses us broken, weak, empty vessels. He fills us with his spirit and allows us to be uh, water deliverers for him, to share living water. I want to tell you a story about a young lady. Uh, Joyez is her name. And, and when you think about delivering hope, this is a picture of the, this young lady. She's in sixth grade now. It's very interesting. Um, she was actually, uh, she had never been to school until third grade. Can you imagine? Never stepped foot inside school. And it was interesting now talking with her. I think about how vulnerable she was. I began by talking about um, this woman trying to get in my room and some of the other difficult situations where people are desperate for hope. Joyez was vulnerable. She was so vulnerable to the lies of the world and of the enemy. If a human trafficker, for example, would have come along, she would have been very vulnerable because she didn't come from a good family. She'd never been to school. She was hungry. She was poor. But instead, praise God, uh, we were able to help. And Joyez now is in sixth grade. She's learning English. She told me, she's like, I love learning English because now I can speak to anyone. Uh, in 2010, English became the national language of Rwanda. So now she's, she's like, I can speak with anyone now that I speak English. And she's growing. She's thriving academically. She wants to be a physician now. As I said earlier, years ago, uh, people wouldn't even have imagined that a physician could come from this town, this, this village but I believe she's going to be a world changer for Christ. She's growing spiritually. She's growing academically. Now she has hope. She has accepted the delivery of hope. And that's what we're all about, is trying to give people an opportunity to grow, to know about God, to learn. Look at this, uh, this brochure you may see on your, uh, your seat. You're welcome to have a copy of that and to take it with you. There was a story I wanted to show you of Richard and Francois. Uh, and I think I left, oh, there it is right there. Okay, sorry. I've got to learn how to operate this thing. It's pretty simple. That way it goes forward and that way it goes back. But anyway, um, it's interesting to hear their story. This was a young a boy uh, who actually is HIV positive now, and his father was just desperate and couldn't even take care of, of his son well. Uh, by God's grace, we were able to come alongside them. I love the fact that our chaplain, Chaplain Shima, now is discipling Richard. Richard's growing in his faith. He's leaving behind his past. He was really a, just a drunk, honestly. And the mother was not in the picture. And, and it's just neat to see God transforming. They're accepting the delivery of living water and of hope. I hope that wherever God calls us, we can choose to fix our eyes on that eternal goal, that eternal prize, and that we take whatever he's given us to use to serve others. May God give us this kind of hope and that, that we can be suppliers. We can be distributors. You can be a distributor of hope. And if God calls you, I, I want to, to challenge you this morning to say, Lord, I'm willing. But here's the thing. You can't deliver it if you don't have it. You have to have the hope. And I would just challenge you this morning to ask yourself, where's my hope? Is it in my circumstances is it in my wealth? Is it in my comfort? Or is my hope truly in Jesus alone? And if you've got it, then he's called you to deliver it. I began today by telling the story of the girl in my room. And, and I want to tell you that today I have three young ladies that live in my house, uh, my three daughters. And I just, I want them to know that the hope is in Christ and not in anything else. 
And I want to help equip them to know that they're loved, that they're valued, that they're beautiful in God's eyes, and that he's calling them to serve him. So I don't know exactly what God's calling you to do today. There's really three options after you hear about some needs around the world, after you hear about serving as an ambassador for Christ. You can pray for your missionaries, which I know you are. And thank you, brother, for that wonderful prayer earlier and just mentioning different people groups around the world and the way that God is at work. You can send. That means you can be involved in helping prop that up, like Diana is, is a great example of just really serving and helping send missionaries. And thirdly, I would say that you can go. And I challenge you this morning to think about that. Will you go? Will you be willing to say, God, where would you send me to serve you? And going can be local or international. I don't know what God's calling you to do right here in St. John's, but I challenge you and I encourage you to be looking for opportunities to distribute his hope, just like Jesus was in Samaria. So let me go ahead and pray with us, and then we'll close this morning. Father, I thank you for this congregation. I thank you for the way that you're at work here. What a wonderful community of followers. Lord, I pray that you would help each one of us to be willing to pray, to send, and or to go. Would you show us how we can serve you, Lord, in fullness and in truth. Lord, would you give us the living water, may it be a reality in our life, so much so that people would even come and ask, what is it? What is it about you that's different? You, you seem to have peace. You seem to have joy. You seem to have a hope that I don't know anything about. Help us to be distributors of your hope, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.